Good morning, all. Merry Christmas. Great to see you. I hope you are well. And uh, welcome. So glad you're here today. My name is Greg Paris, and uh, we've been uh, talking about the wonder of Christmas this Advent season here at Union Chapel. And today I want to talk about the wonder of the manger. It is a simple concept, isn't it? And yet so meaningful and so profound. And so I trust that you'll be blessed today and encouraged uh, by the message. I have chosen as our text today from this classic text from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. This is the one that most of our families read when we gather together, and, and I want to read the first 16 verses of Luke's second chapter uh, this morning with you. Let me just invite you to remain seated today. I know there's some children about and so forth, and uh, it's a family environment this weekend, so thank you so much for that, and we'll just uh, hear the Word of God and remain seated today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 2. If not, we'll project these words. I want to say one more word about the Christmas offering. You heard um, Pastor, uh, Pastor Cole talk about um, this matching grant opportunity that we have, and f- folks have caught the vision for this. Uh, before last night's uh, two services and those offerings there, our Christmas offering, the largest Christmas offering we'd ever received here is about $45,000, which is really great, strong. But as of last night, before the services last night, we had already gone over $60,000 in the Christmas offering. So it's a great response. And it's, uh, it's one of those opportunities where you sense God's favor and blessing on it. And so I've, I'm, the reason I mention it is if you haven't given anything, maybe you didn't plan to give anything or you're just visiting or whatever, um, this is something if you participate in it, it has a multiplying effect, of course, from the grant. But I think God's also touching it as well in a very special way. And so uh, if you want to be blessed in your giving, then uh, there's an opportunity. So you've got a red envelope in your bulletin, still have that. Hand some money in that envelope to an usher as you leave, and uh, we'll see that, that uh, the gospel of Christ continues to go forward with it. So thank you so much for your generosity. All right, from Luke's gospel now, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
And may God inspire us tonight, today for this uh, very powerful story. Well, uh, let me uh, begin by just uh, reminding us how easy it is uh, to miss the point, especially around the Christmas holidays. Uh, the story about a young man who gave his father very expensive gifts. This was a very wealthy family, and, and this young man loved and esteemed his father very much, and he would give him very expensive gifts, exotic trips uh, to various places of the world. He'd give him very exclusive antiques. Uh, he would give him uh, uh, very unusual uh, and, and, and interesting automobiles, that sort of thing. And one year, he knew he wasn't going to be able to be home for Christmas, and he was thinking about his dad and had this very unique gift idea. And it was the idea to give his father a talking bird. Yeah, it was a very rare and exotic talking bird that he had come, become aware of. And this bird would stand on one leg and it would actually speak in five different languages. And in between speaking in these five different languages, the bird would actually sing the song, The Yellow Rose of Texas. Amazing bird. Amazing animal. And it was an extraordinary bird and very ex expensive. In fact, the bird cost $100,000. But the son reasoned that his dad was worth it, and so he had the bird shipped to his father's home. A couple of days after Christmas, the, the son called the father because he was curious to know how impressed his father was with the bird. And so he said, Dad, what did you think of the gift I sent you? And the father said, oh, I enjoyed it very much. It was delicious. Yeah. It's easy to miss the point. It's easy to miss the point around Christmas. There are so many competing ideas, right? So many competing images that we can get distracted from the simple, beautiful, peaceful message of the coming of Jesus, Messiah, Emmanuel. Yes. Uh, and so on your outline, you'll see a few ideas. One is that this is an unlikely crib, this manger. It's unlikely. We sing this song, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, and we romanticize it, right? It's what we do this time of year, and it makes us feel warm, and, and, and it's a fascinating uh, 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 concept, and we set up our nativity scenes, and we imagine the, this holy moment. But let me tell you something. It was not a romantic moment for Mary and Joseph. It was anything but that. It was very difficult, very challenging, and the conditions were not conducive to giving birth. And so here they find themselves in this very lowly, lowly place. And we pause then to ask the question, why? Why didn't God arrange for better accommodations? And the answer to that question is because one, God wanted the world to know the nature of Jesus' reign from the very beginning. The manger was actually a harbinger of Christ's entire ministry. Look at this statement on the screen with me. It spoke volumes about the way the sovereign ruler of the universe intended to win back God's lost children. Yeah, not by overwhelming us with might, but winning us with love. See, it was God's, never God's design to overpower us or to scare us into submission or to force us in some way. No, no. Rather, God chose to love us. God called, uh, uh, chose rather to present himself in humility to the world. And so we see that all the way, all the way through the life of Jesus. It's a fascinating, there's a fascinating uh, 
reality about the way God discloses himself throughout the whole scripture. Think about this. Think, think with me. God presents himself in the scripture as a seeking God. He's a God who seems to be interested in finding something. He's always searching. He's always looking for something special. For example, we find in John's Gospel, chapter 4, that he's looking for true worshipers. We read in Psalm 14 that he's scanning the whole earth from heaven. We, we read in 2 Chronicles 16 that his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. We know that when Jesus came on the scene and he began to teach, he said, the reason I came, my mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. It's interesting. In, in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, Jesus is recorded there giving a number of illustrations of the seeking nature of God. We, we hear Jesus say the good shepherd is one who will leave the 99 sheep who are accounted for to go searching for the one that is lost. He said a, a diligent woman actually goes through her entire home trying to, uh, combing her way through, trying to find that one coin that's been lost. He said, a loving father is one who, who scans the horizon every day looking for that one prodigal son who needs to come home. Over and over and over again, we see the seeking nature, the seeking heart of God. Now, here's my point, and I want to put it on the screen because it's so important. It's rather startling then that the completely omniscient, self-sufficient God that owns everything and needs nothing would seek for something, and that something would be us. God is seeking you. God's looking for you to find you. Charles Wesley wrote in his great hymn entitled, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Look at the lyrics of one of the verses of this, of this beautiful hymn. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, yeah, you think? Immense, yes, and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. The seeking, searching heart of God wants to find you by his love and grace. Well, it's an unlikely crib. And then a, a second thought, furthermore, it was a quiet invasion. When you think about invasions, <laughs> the most dramatic invasion perhaps in all of human history occurred on June the 6th, 1944. We're all familiar with this event from history. This was D-Day. This is when 155,000 allied troops from America, from Great Britain, and from Canada stormed the beaches of the Normandy coast, coast in France, about a 50-mile stretch of beaches. And, and we can only imagine, we really can't comprehend it, the, the level, the volume of that, of, of that landing the bombardment, the number of bombs that were shot from battleships and dropped from planes and the artillery and, and, and the insanity of it, the horror of it. Thousands of sailors and soldiers lost their lives that day. But they were determined. They were on a mission. They were on a mission to eradicate Nazism and drive Hitler out of that part of Europe. And, of, and of course, they accomplished their mission. But contrast that invasion how dramatic it was. Contrast now that invasion with the invasion of Almighty God into the world, into our planet. It's almost counterintuitive. I mean, why wouldn't God just send 10,000 angels 
and let, and let there be pyrotechnics and lightning and thunder and rumbling and earthquakes and, you know, just shake it up and, and, and shock and awe in his interest into the world. Instead, think about this. What we get instead, we don't get, we don't get one loud noise. All we get out of the birth of God Almighty into the world is the sound of a newborn baby sleeping in his mother's arms. It's a baby. A baby. It's, it's a quiet. It's a quiet invasion. And so we are left to ask the question, why? Why would the sovereign Lord of the universe do that? Why would he choose that kind of entrance? There's only one reason. It's because of God's great love for us. Can you hear that? God's great love for us. God wants to win our hearts and make us his own. That's why Jeremiah wrote, Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Wow. Well, that leads me to the last thing I want to mention today, and that is God's plan was a divine plan. It's an amazing plan. Let's just consider it. All the circumstances of the nativity, the coming of Jesus, point toward God wanting us to know that Jesus' reign would be characterized by humility. Look at this statement on the screen. Jesus demonstrated to us that true greatness comes not by exalting yourself, but by serving others. And isn't that the way Jesus' life was characterized? Uh-huh, yeah. Reaching out to the hurting and the forgotten, putting others' needs ahead of his own, believing the best in people, bending down, stooping down to identify and connect with the least and the lost, uh, weeping with his friends, caring for those around him, washing the disciples' feet, ultimately giving his life on the cross. This is the earmark of Jesus. And here's the lesson we learn. Hear this, friends. God was determined to show us the secret of true happiness and the way to enter peace is through obeying God and serving others. Yeah, that's the secret. That's the secret sauce. That's the secret formula. Obey God. Embrace God's best plan for your life and serve others. And we might just add to that and do it with joy. And you'll find meaning and significance, purpose in your life. Yeah. Let me just add one more story and we'll be done. This comes uh, in that season of time when the Soviet Union imploded, the collapse of the Iron Curtain, and we know that Christian ministries began to flood into what was the former Soviet Union. Union Chapel actually embraced that opportunity as we went to Kazakhstan, Central Asia, originally part of the Soviet Union. And there was a man and a friend, his name was Will Fish, both Americans, and they went to Moscow, Russia, and began to work with orphans who'd been abused and abandoned, left in the care of government-run programs there. And as the Christmas season was approaching, as Will Fish tells the story, they prepared to share the traditional Christmas story with the orphans who would all be hearing it for the first time in their lives. Imagine that. They told them about Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem and finding no room in the inn. They explained that Jesus was born in a stable and placed in a manger. The children and the workers of the orphanage, uh, they reported, sat very attentively, listening with amazement as they heard this story for the first time. When they finished telling the story, they gave each of the children three small pieces of cardboard and asked them to make a simple manger. And then they also gave each child a small piece, a square cut from a napkin, and 
they were to form the baby Jesus out of that little square. And so as Will Fish walked among the children to see if they needed any help, he came to a little boy whose name was Misha. And Misha appeared to be about six years old. And noticing that Misha's manger had not one, but two babies in it, he called for a translator to come over and talk to Misha. And though he had heard the Christmas story just once, Misha accurately relayed what had happened until the part of the story where Mary now puts the baby Jesus in the manger. And this is when little Misha began to ad-lib. And this is what he said. And when Maria laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. I told him, I have no mama, I have no papa, and I don't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everybody else did. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much, so I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anyone has ever given me. So I got into the manger, and then Jesus looked at me, and he told me that I could stay with him forever. When Misha finished explaining what had happened, little tears brimmed up on his eyes and spilled down his face, and he buried his face in his hands, and his head went down to the table, and he just sobbed. Can you see that little guy? Six years old. Listen, friends, that's the power of the manger. That's the wonder. That's the wonder of the story, the wonder of the manger, that God loves us so much. Friends, can we just summarize by saying it is stunning. It is stunning how approachable God makes himself. You know, a little guy, six years old, living in an orphanage in Moscow, Russia, can get the message the first time he hears it. He can get it. And that's because God's not hiding himself. He's not concealing himself. He's not making it difficult. He's not making it complicated to find him. It's not reserved for special people who are specially privileged to know him. God wants to be found. He does. He wants to be known. And he wants you to know him. And that's why we wonder at a simple birth of a boy in a simple little town in a simple time who was then laid in a manger. One more time then, look in the screen, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pause and pray about these things for just a moment. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe that you would humble yourself to come to the earth to live among us, to love us, serve us, fight on our behalf, being willing to give your very life so that we might truly live. How grateful we are for your surprising and wonderful plan. So I pray that you will open our eyes this season to the wonder of a manger, an unlikely crib, and yet herald your humble and eternal reign. So may this beautiful picture of your love profoundly change us. Touch us today. May we follow your example by humbling ourselves to love and serve others in your name. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Everyone said amen. All right, would you stand with us now?